0: Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We are almost at the end of the week, which actually went pretty quickly, I think. Uh, If you have not yet read it, you need to pick up a copy of The New Atlantic. The cover story, January 6th, was practice. Uh, Here's the opening paragraph of the lead story. Technically, the next attempt to overthrow a national election may not qualify as a coup It will rely on subversion more than violence, although each will have its place. If the plot succeeds, the ballots cast by American voters will not decide the presidency in 2024. Thousands of votes will be thrown away or millions to produce the required effect. The winner will be declared the loser. The loser will be certified president-elect. And that's just the beginning. Uh, This was written by Bart Gelman, staff writer for The Atlantic, who joins us on the podcast today. Good morning, Bart. Good morning. You must be fun at parties. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I'm, I'm told uh, I shouldn't be read before bedtime.
0: Well, OK, I, I confess this earlier in the week to your colleague, uh, David, from that when you wrote a piece a year ago about the possibility of the election being stolen, I have to admit that I thought it was a little over the top. I didn't take it completely seriously. I was alarmed about what was going to happen, but in retrospect, I was not sufficiently alarmed. So go go back to that story, because you were one of the first guys saying, hey, guys, you understand what could happen in places like Pennsylvania. What, what made you write that before the 2020? What were you seeing that made you want to sound the alarm before the 2020 election?
1: I I, I think it started like this. I listened like everybody else to Donald Trump saying that there was either going to be a Trump victory or fraud, that those were the Mm -hmm. only choices. And I considered uh, whether he would be willing to concede the election if he lost it. And having decided that he would not, I decided to explore the implications. What does it mean to have an incumbent president who refuses to concede a loss in the American Democratic Mm -hmm. experiment. It had never happened before. And um, I just traced the logical consequences of that.
0: Well, your argument is is that Trump's next coup has already begun. Um, You start off with this scenario of the next election being stolen. You add that this is not a remote possibility. People with motives to do this are already acting. And, And yet, as we've pointed out multiple times on this podcast, Democrats and others. I'm not acting like this threat is real. um or do you agree with that? i mean, it's it's it seems like a the a failure of of imagination. and I, this is something that 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 you've dealt with and and that I know that uh, George Packer talks about that that sometimes we 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 can't prepare ourselves for what's coming because we just can't imagine something this horrible. And that's still the case even after what happened on January sixth.
1: Yeah, that's the funny thing. Trump has presented us multiple times over the years with scenarios that we hadn't imagined before that seemed like they couldn't happen here. The whole point of norm-busting is that it's not normal. And, you know, we, we tend to have a pretty good track record of predicting uh,
0: that the future will be the past. And in this case, it's not. So you connect the dots. Uh, Josh Marshall um, wrote that nobody has pulled together the different moving parts uh, as effectively, either retrospectively or prospectively. And so there, there's two two different elements to your story. You know, what, what we know happened on January 6th, what we're learning about it, and what it might mean for the future. And basically, your thesis, which makes it so chilling, is that January 6th was just a trial run that the next coup has already begun. So let's talk about this. For more than a year, you have GOP operatives um, who've been building an apparatus. Uh, you call it an apparatus of election theft. Talk to me about that.
1: What's happened is that uh, GOP operatives, Trump supporters, not entirely in a, in a coordinated way, but uh, just in more of a copycat pattern, have gone around looking for all the obstacles, all, all the failure points of Trump's last effort to overturn an election. Where did it go wrong? Uh, Why did he fail at reversing the verdict of the American people? And they've gone methodically around to each of those points and reinforced them. They have uh, made sure they won't get uh, in the way next time. And so you've seen that individual officials who refuse to go along with the coup, have been hounded out of office or made irrelevant uh, Mm -hmm. by new rules. Uh, You've seen uh, regimes put in, in terms of counting state elections uh, that make the Republican partisans, the referees. You have people uh, running for and winning positions uh, that will oversee the election who explicitly say they would not have certified Biden's victory last time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, and the list goes on. There are, um, yep. by the Brennan Center's count, there are 19 states, I think, that have passed 33 or 34 laws that uh, restrict voting or change the rules for vote counting, which is the most important
0: part. I, I think that is the most important uh, point. And you also point out that this legal argument that would allow state legislators to override the will of the voters, that's being fine-tuned, that's being embraced. Um I live in Wisconsin where you're seeing an effort to seize partisan control over which ballots, you know, are counted, which ones are thrown out, what what to certify. And I have to tell you that, you know, what's striking to me is I remember getting a phone call uh, shortly after the election from uh, somebody in one of the democracy organizations who was asking me about what I thought the Republican legislature in Wisconsin might do, whether or not they might go along with, with attempts to decertify or overturn the election. And at that time, I kind of remember chuckling about it. I said, no, these guys aren't going to do this. I mean, they may be, you know, cynical partisans, but they're not going to go along with something like that. And I don't think that they were, there was no effort here. But if you were to ask me now, whether this legislature would take the same posture in 2024, I'm not confident at all. It does feel as if there has been this dramatic change and you point out it's not necessarily all coordinated from above where republicans have really internalized these uh this this kind of assault on electoral norms do you you have a theory about why this is happening why so many republicans around the country including formerly rational people even like david Perdue from from georgia why they're willing to go along with this what's going on it's complicated
1: uh it is but it does it, it turns around Trump and the forces that he's unleashed. He has a genius for manipulating attention uh, and for demagoguery. He And he repeats the message over and over and over again and drives it home. And what he's driven home uh, to a very large base of tens of millions of people uh, is that the last election was stolen. Uh, and once you say that the other side has stolen an election, you're giving yourself permission to do quite a bit Uh, in return. And you also have to think about the fact that last time, uh, when Trump was asking state legislatures to seize back control of the electoral ballots uh, from the voters, to, to fire the voters and hand the electoral votes to Trump, that was a nearly unimaginable thing for a professional politician to do. It's been talked about so much now, Uh, And there are so many demands for it from below uh, that it's been normalized. And I do think that uh, many of those legislators would do it next time when they didn't
0: last. I agree with you. And also, it is sort of mind-bending to think about where we were and what we thought was going to happen, say, on the morning of January 7th, when you had other Republicans who were breaking with, uh, with the president, who were appalled by what happened. And yet, as you point out, he's reconquered his party by setting the base on fire and you write, uh, his deepest source of strength is the bitter grievance of Republican voters. They lost the White House and are losing the country to alien forces with no legitimate claim to power. So uh, and th- you you make it very. this is not a loosely committed population. This is what I think people underestimate, that I think that there's a real asymmetry in the passion. And this is one of the things that I think it's kind of my, you know, visceral takeaway from your piece, where, you know, we are dealing with, and these are your words, the first American mass political movement in the past century that's ready to fight by any means necessary for its cause. So talk to me about this unshakable force, the the faith in fantastical tales. And you tell the story. You really center your narrative around this retired New York City fireman named Richard Patterson to capture the intensity of the sport. So tell me about richard patterson and what's going on in his head so i run across this
1: guy um he stands out at a protest uh in favor of the january 6th uh rioters uh he's wearing his old firefighting uniform this glossy 10-button coach uh, shine yeah. shoes cap uh his his rank is on it uh, and he's there with signs of uh support uh, for Trump and for the, uh, protesters of January 6th and I struck up a conversation with him and he was, uh, willing to delve into it. He was willing to answer questions from a mainstream media guy. And we kept up a correspondence and a, and a, and a sort of phone call interview that went on for uh, weeks and is now already extended, uh, to a couple of months. I wanted to delve into his head. I wanted to Mm -hmm. delve into uh, where he's coming from. And so I would ask him what he believed, and then I would research it and come back and say, well, this doesn't seem right for the following reasons. Uh, You gave me these statistics uh, that you think prove fraud uh, in the national vote count, and uh, here's where they come from and here's where they went wrong. Uh, you gave me uh, this uh, this retired Air Force general guy named of McInerney as the source of your information that uh, special forces operating with Antifa were actually responsible for the violence on January 6th. and that they were in cahoots with Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell for some reason. And uh,
0: the Italian satellites figure into this somehow.
1: There were Italian satellites. Uh, the Pakistanis. Pakistani intelligence service, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, the, the whole thing. Now, German computers, all of this stuff. So I track down this general that, who's, who, who, who is the source of Patterson's belief in this myth, and uh, the general not only doesn't have any proof, it doesn't even purport to have any proof of most of it, and then I get a call from the guy's son who delicately uh, tells me that his father is... Uh, not all there anymore and i i i i tell all this to Patterson. i come back to the firefighter and say here's what i've found and he doesn't believe me uh this is the thing He, he has been subjected to such a volume of propaganda uh over such a long time that he's simply not taking in an alternate view of the facts which happens to be the actual empirical view of the facts
0: This is the extraordinary phenomenon of of, of every, these beliefs are non-falsifiable, right? They're in this alternative reality silo, and there's nothing you can do to break through.
1: Yeah, I found that extremely dispiriting and thinking that I was not doing it right somehow.
0: No. So this guy has again, speaking of alternative reality. So the January 6th insurrectionists, the rioters, he thinks of them as Pelosi's political prisoners. He doesn't think there was an insurrection he um, incorrectly thinks that uh, people have only been charged with misdemeanors; that it was it was peaceful, and the police let them in. Uh, he he's, he has never seen these videos of the police officers being hit with the baseball bats, hockey sticks, fire extinguishers—none of that—and and he, he believes he, he again he's got this whole alternative narrative. Right? It's not the Patriots' fault if there was violence because there were these agents provocateurs in the crowd and then he goes to all this other stuff so he's got a completely alternative universe than the one that many of us live in thinking back on january 6th it's a completely different story and nothing you told him about the facts shook him at all
1: right this is this this kind of person who is emotional and passionate uh in his in his beliefs here i mean this is a guy who truly believes that that an imposter is in the white house uh that a tyrant has taken over the country uh and so on yeah and and uh, this is why i'm skeptical when some political scientists say that uh it's not a huge deal that 68 percent of all republicans polled um say that the election was stolen uh from donald trump that that those are soft beliefs that they they really just indicate support for Trump. Uh, That's not what I think. I think think that this is a catastrophic phenomenon for uh, the American polity, uh, that uh, there is a large group of tens of millions of people who really do believe our, our election was stolen and are willing to do something about it. So let's talk
0: about Patterson a little bit because, okay, so the guy is a retired firefighter. He's lucid. He's not crazy, and I'm hesitant. I mean, because to believe all this stuff, but you sensed a deep rage underneath all of this. I mean, there's something going on with him. There's a, that, right. I mean that that got him to this point. What? Give, give me your insight into into how a guy who was once a first line responder, probably a responsible citizen. Came to this point? What is the deep rage? Well, you know,
1: I'll, I'll start from the bigger picture and come right back to Patterson. Sure. There's a political scientist named Robert Pape who works at the University of Chicago and has done deep studies into the January 6th uh, 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 arrestees and also in terms of public opinion nationally. Uh, and what he's found is that the strongest correlation. Uh, with belief that uh, the election was stolen and with belief that violence is justified in order to restore Mm -hmm. Trump to power. The strongest correlation with those two beliefs is that you come from a place where the white population is in decline. Hmm.
0: Uh,
1: For every 1% in white population decline in a given county, the county was 25% more likely to send an insurgent to the Capitol on January 6th. Now, Richard Patterson happens to live in a county, uh, Bronx, New York, uh, where the white population has declined 2% uh, or 20 some thousand people, uh, fewer whites uh, in the Bronx uh, today than there were 10 years ago. Uh, and if you delve into his history a little bit, he has deep and longstanding grievances against affirmative action. Uh, and and the uh, integration of women and uh, people of color into uh, the New York Fire Department and actually California Fire Departments because he was turned down for jobs uh, in Oakland and in San Francisco, uh, and he believes he was told it was because he was white. Mm-hmm. And so the fear of being replaced by people of
0: color... This is the which, Great Replacement Theory.
1: The Great Replacement Theory, which started in Europe, But really plays into long-standing uh, white power uh, beliefs in this country dates back all the way to uh, Reconstruction the idea that and sometimes it's put that there's some small hidden hand uh, power elite or often the Jews who are organizing so that uh, people of color will replace uh, white Christians of European stock uh, Donald Trump has used those tropes. Uh, Tucker Carlson has Very promoted explicitly. them explicitly, uh, explicitly. Uh, uh, on on Fox News. And that fear is
0: present in a guy
1: like Patterson as well.
0: So the, your conversation with this uh, University of Chicago uh, political scientist Richard Pape is really interesting because he t- t- told you, talking about the the great replacement theory that the Trump speech on January 6th was more disciplined than his usual speech. Didn't have the, you know, the unfinished thoughts, the the tangents, and you quote a, a passage from it. Our country, this is Trump on January 6th. Our country has been under siege for a long time, far longer than this four year period. Trump told the crowd, you are the real people. You are the people that built this nation And then add it, and we fight, we fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. So, you know, this had never hit me until I read it in in your piece. This really is capturing that sense of grievance that you're losing the country. The whole theme of the real America versus the fake America really is, there's, there's a line, there's a through line to all of this, isn't there? Yeah, we're, we're under assault by outsiders
1: uh, who do not have a legitimate claim to power, uh, who are not like us, who want to destroy this country. Uh, great decisions about the future of our nation are being made now. It all depends on you. This was yeah. classic rallying cry to political violence. Uh, and in fact, when he heard the speech, Robert Pape, uh, brought to mind a guy named Slobodan Milosevic, yep. uh, who was president of Serbia and who famously in 1989 rallied Serbs into what began a, a genocidal war against Bosnian Muslims with exactly the same
0: tropes. So let's talk about the threat going forward uh, as well as, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's hard to disaggregate all of this. You, in, in your piece, you reference, you know, when, when, uh, Ross Douthat uh, poo-pooed your pre-election piece, warning that uh, the Trump would try to steal the election. I mean, his column famously was "There will be no Trump coup." Uh, you you pointed out that uh, that uh, Douthat has all also looked ahead um, you know, with with his guarded optimism, saying, "Well, okay, you know, yes, there was an attempted coup, but nothing really to worry about because Trump's going to be outside the Oval Office this time." So why? You know, I, you know, there are people who say that the, the one protection that we have is that he no longer holds the presidency and he's generally pretty incompetent. He's not hardworking and he's incompetent. So even if he tries to do it, he won't be able to pull this, this off. Um, you think that this is dangerously underestimates the threat in 2024. Why? Well, so it sounds like a perfectly reasonable point to yeah. say, if Trump couldn't pull off
1: a coup when he was commander-in-chief and chief law enforcement officer of the united states uh then surely he has less power to do so now sounds reasonable uh and i disagree because it was not trump's official powers that made him so dangerous the last time and it make him so dangerous this time it was trump as private citizen uh who inspired tens of millions of supporters uh to believe that black is white and up is down and, uh, and, and, uh, enraged their passions such that they were willing to use violence, um, in his favor. It, it was, it was Trump as a political leader, not as the president United States who conquered his party, uh, and who has, uh, commanded, uh, near absolute fealty, uh, to him personally and to uh whatever version of reality he's selling uh it, you can't exist in today's republican party uh, and 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 question those things. Uh, the very few people who've tried are being hounded out yeah uh, very
0: very effectively
1: uh well, very effectively I mean we well, haven't had a party as as politically uniform uh and united behind one human being uh, maybe ever in this country.
0: Well, I think the most important point that you're making, though, is also that his position has improved markedly since that, that, you know, since the aftermath of the election. I mean, everything that he did, um, was aimed toward getting state legislatures to seize control of the results, appoint Trump electors. He he was pushing to get the state legislators, you know, tr- you know, trying to get them, you know, a, give them a reason to meddle in hopes of this cascade effect, which in retrospect, you can imagine how it w- would happen. Um. So you know, even though those efforts failed, he did achieve something crucial, as you've pointed out. When you have tens of millions of people believing the elections were were stolen, delegitimizing Biden's victory, and you can see that the party has uh, has just seized this banner. I mean, seized the baton and is moving forward. Because I, I have to tell you, I, I don't have the confidence that the people who were the bulwarks um, of, of election integrity last time around are going to be there, as you pointed out, in Georgia. A concerted attempt to get rid of everybody who, who certified the election in Arizona, in places like Wisconsin or Michigan, uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania. And you could see the, you know Donald Trump uh, is sitting down in Mar-a-Lago thinking that if he's got these electoral votes in his back pocket, he will cruise back into the White House. If he knows that even if he loses, that he's got Georgia and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Arizona, that's game over, isn't it? Right. Well, I'm, I'm glad
1: you mentioned those states because let, let's, let's take a look at yeah. what, what is important about those states. What's important about those states is that they're battlegrounds. They're close. Biden won them uh, uh, narrowly, and they're controlled entirely by Republicans um, in their legislature. So you have a state that that Democrats win, but Republicans run the legislature. And it just happens to be uh, that Trump and his people are pushing now an interpretation of the Constitution that says the legislature, this Republican legislature, uh, can take away the power of voters to choose a president and make the decision for themselves uh, that The Georgia legislature can say, well, yes, uh, we had a vote and all, but we are declaring the vote to be invalid, uh, and we are going to send electors to the Electoral College who uh, will cast their ballots for Trump, even though uh, Biden won our state. And uh, as excuse for doing that, um, we've taken over the uh, certification authorities, and the certification authorities refuse to say that Biden actually won. Uh, And they're doing that in, in... six or seven states, uh, which is game over for the presidency.
0: So, okay. But how does this play out? Because it will be Kamala Harris, uh, who will be the vice president when these votes are counted in early January, 2025. So, so what's the scenario? So let's say that they try to do this. And I, I think that, you know, under certain circumstances, they definitely would try to do the One of the things I think we've learned, uh, you know, in the, in the last few months is that this attempt, to overturn the election was much more serious on Trump's part than we had ever imagined. I mean, some of the—I remember the first time when I heard that the vice president could refuse to count the votes. I thought it was—it was a—was it, was it a lawsuit by Paul Gosar or something? I mean, it was the kind of thing you laugh at and you roll your eyes and now, realizing that that was really central to their strategy, right? Is that they were—they were counting on something happening to delay that certification, Justice Alito stepping in, Mike Pence stepping in. I mean, that—that that could have happened, but. Okay. So let's go ahead to 2025. Kamala Harris is there. These alternate electors are sent up by, let's say, Pennsylvania. Uh, does she have a choice which ones to count? How does it play out? So this is
1: fascinating, right? In Pennsylvania, yeah. let's suppose it's it's still got a Democratic governor, which is very much in question. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, uh, but uh, Trump has uh, is is trying to make sure that the next governor of pennsylvania will be one who has endorsed the big lie uh, And who who will work with Pennsylvania's uh, heavily republican uh, state senate and state house on his behalf Uh, but let's say you get dueling electors. Let's say uh, the people of pennsylvania uh, vote for biden or the democratic nominee uh and Uh, The governor duly signs the certificate of that and Mm -hmm. forwards the Democratic electors to the Electoral College. Meanwhile, the uh, Republican legislature uh, says that it finds the uh, vote to be fraudulent and it sends Republican Mm -hmm. electors to the Electoral College. Uh, This has happened before in American history, distant American history. Uh, And it then goes to Congress, a joint session of Congress. That's what happened on January 6th Mm -hmm. uh, this past year. Uh, uh, a joint session of Congress has to decide which electors uh, to accept or whether to say we're accepting no electors. Uh, It's true that Kamala Harris uh, will preside over that session, uh, but uh, every uh, respectable constitutional scholar last time said that no, Mike Pence cannot on his own authority decide who won the election, Uh, that this is um, the means for resolving that kind of dispute are set out in something called the electoral count act of 1887 uh and uh if republicans control both houses of congress uh on january 6th of 2025 uh then it will be up to republican politicians to decide which electors to accept and they will be under immense pressure from a passionate Mm -hmm. republican base uh to uh, to throw their support behind the Republican candidate. And I, I don't think they will withstand that pressure. Uh, that If you gave truth serum to every Republican politician in the country, you would get a clear majority who acknowledged that Biden won the last election. But how many of them are willing to say that now out loud?
0: Well, and we saw what happened. I mean, even after January 6th, even after the rioting, you had the vast majority of the members of the Republican House conference Vote against certifying some of the electoral votes, and you've seen um, how uh, even even the the handful of uh, congressmen who voted to impeach uh, Donald Trump have been sort of cowed and crushed by by this sort of pressure. So one little little um, you know, technicality that may seem irrelevant now, but may become immensely important, is under under the. The the system that we have, uh, the Electoral Count Act. Well, you have to clarify whether this is in the Constitution or the, in the Electoral Count Act. When the House of Representatives votes, they don't vote as individual members; they vote as states. Correct that the yes. majority now, of is... the state. Yeah, this is a weird <laughs> thing because you know, the only, it's the, as far as I know, it's the only time when this happens. Right, that you have so the state of Wyoming gets one vote, New York gets one vote. Right. And it depends
1: on the majority of uh, uh, members of Congress from that state. It happens to be the case that Republicans uh, control the state delegations of 26 states, uh, which is one more than half. Uh, So if and now this is a scenario under the 12th Amendment, if neither candidate uh, has enough electoral votes uh, to cross the threshold of 270 then the election is thrown to the house and each mm-hmm. state votes, uh, once, uh, and Republicans control 26 delegations. And so the Republican, uh, presumably, uh, would win that. Although I, let's just mention that one of the Republican controlled delegations is Wyoming, uh, and, and Liz Cheney. And so that would put her For in the moment position. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, you can imagine how that would play out. Um, so, That's that's the scenario,
1: just to make sure it's clear, uh, that's the scenario in which, uh, let's say, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan each send two dueling slates of electors to Congress, and Congress is unable to decide which uh, are valid, and so they're not counted at all, and nobody reaches 270
0: Okay. So this is a real possibility. I I, I think what's extraordinary about all of this is this is taking place in real time, really in broad daylight. It's been documented what's going on. Um, Trump himself is making no secret of what he is demanding. And yet there does not seem to be a real sense of urgency by Democratic officeholders from Joe Biden to Merrick Garland to, to, to Congress. What am I missing? I, I think you're
1: hearing a, a resounding silence uh, from the other side. I think, look, there are a lot of people who are worried about this, and there are a lot of organizations that are fighting about this in terms of uh, the change of voting laws state by state. Uh, but you're not seeing an equivalent to what the Republicans are doing, which is running big lie Republicans for every precinct captain, mm-hmm. every committeeman committee woman position, for county clerks and county election administrators in the 10,000 plus jurisdictions that count election results around the country, they're infiltrating and trying to take over uh, and, and the apparatus. And this is with people who explicitly say, they would not have certified Biden's victory the last yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, they would not have carried out faithfully uh, the basic requirements uh, uh, of the job. There, there is nothing stealthy about it. There is nothing stealthy about <laughs> it, and I think there is. I think there is a sense of disbelief now. I mean, President Biden made a very strong speech in July uh, at the National Constitution Center, in which he said that these moves uh, toward election subversion are the greatest test of our democracy since the Civil War. Those are big words from a president of the United States. And you just have to ask yourself, what actions has he taken that uh, are commensurate with language like that? And you just can't find it.
0: Yeah, see, I think this goes back to what we were discussing at the beginning of of this conversation, which is the failure of historical imagina- of, of imagination. That I, my sense is that a lot of uh, folks recognize the threat, they recognize what's going on, but they're thinking, yeah, but in the end, this can't possibly happen. There's no way that they would actually be able to do that. They would, uh, you know, it, the, the courts would not allow it, the Supreme Court would not uh, go along with all of this. Uh, uh, there will still be principled Republicans who would push back against that. And I guess my reaction is, okay, how confident are you of this? I mean, I think history is full of of moments where you look back and you realize that people did not necessarily see what was coming. They were naive. They told themselves comforting stories. But if there's one thing that's pretty clear and certainly uh, reinforced by your story is that America is not immune from history and that some of these uh, institutions and these norms are much more fragile than we thought. But there does seem to be a certain, what, hopefulness, complacency, um, just refusal to acknowledge what possibly could happen? Yeah, all of the above. I, I think it's yeah. disbelief.
1: I, I, I think it's 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 just disbelief that this kind of thing could happen here. And you bring up the Supreme Court. I mean, and that's an important piece that you referred to earlier, and that we haven't elaborated on here. There is an argument that is gathering steam on, uh, the conservative side. Uh, and again, it it is based on the fact that Republicans control the legislatures in all the swing states or substantially Mm -hmm. all the swing states. And so they've come up with a doctrine that is called independent state legislature. Now article two of the constitution says that electors are chosen, uh, in such manner as the legislatures of the states shall decide. Mm-hmm. which means that they don't have to allow local elections. They don't have to allow state elections for president. They could just decide we're going to vote for all elect- electors to go to Trump. And the, uh, the doctrine says that they could take back this power at any time. And so, uh, and, and there are four justices on the Supreme Court wow. who have expressed already uh, a certain openness to this doctrine. And, and so the idea is that uh, if it does come to the court, and the legislature has one set of electors and the governor or the secretary of state has another set of electors, uh, that the Supreme Court uh, may indeed go back to Article II and say uh, the legislators
0: win. So, yeah, in a, in a jump ball situation like that, uh, they, could, they can point to the the legislative grand department. Who are the four that have expressed openness to that? I assume that we're talking about uh, Clarence Thomas, Alito, who else? Gorsuch and
1: what well, Roberts has a little bit but it's the basically it's all the conservatives with an asterisk on Roberts minus Amy Coney Barrett. She has not been called upon to opine on the subject. So, so it, yeah. it's it, you know it, if if she goes along with this uh, and they take it to its logical extension, uh, then they could be uh, they 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 could be giving their blessing.
0: Okay. So w- what happens? <laughs> what happens if this happens? What happens to the country? Because we've talked about how polarized we are, how divided we are. What would, what would it mean for, for America if, if in fact thousands or millions of votes are thrown away? The winner declared the loser, the loser certified president elect. W- where does America go at that moment? Well, I, 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 I don't even
1: want to imagine it, it, yeah. it's, it but it, they're, there's a high lack of to now. Okay. Serious civil conflict of massive protests that you've sometimes have seen in places like Ukraine. The, the you know, a general strike. I don't know. I mean, it, I it would not go understand. down easy.
0: No, it would not go down easy. And and I guess, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm wondering whether or not we're headed toward this almost one way or another. I mean, clearly this is a phenomenon that's been braced by the Republican Party, but Will Democrats accept, um, will they accept to, in a close election, will they accept the legitimacy of a second Trump term? Or will they have convinced themselves that the system has been rigged in all of these various ways and therefore makes it illegitimate? So are, aren't we basically facing a crisis of legitimacy in 2024 almost no matter what?
1: Yeah, that, that, that's a distinct possibility. You know what's, what's ironic? is that right now when you do a a national poll you find that approximately one-third of democrats think that we are that there is a fundamental threat to our political system and our constitutional order two-thirds of republicans uh think there is such a threat and their own mistaken beliefs are the core of that threat Uh, but republicans are more worried about uh subversion
0: the Democrats are. that is a very, a, a very dangerous thing, so I have argued in the past, and I'm going to get your your take on this, that the the one essential thing the Democrats in Washington have to do is they need to fix that electoral vote count act. They need to take that the poorly written piece of legislation and make it very clear how the electoral votes are counted. There's a lot of other things that need to be done. But I would argue that that's job one. What do you think? I mean, what would your agenda be to protect us from what's coming?
1: I have a very unsatisfactory answer to that because I don't feel qualified to say what what should happen. My 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 uh, skill set is uh, is empirical. It's sort of understanding what is happening and un, and analyzing. Uh, the implications. Right. I, I don't really know how to fix this. I, I don't do <laughs> I, 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 I do think that. Uh, yeah, I mean, who does? But mm. I, I, I do think reform of the Electoral Count Act is essential. But it is not actually at the core of this scenario. It mm-hmm. was more important for the last election when when control of Congress was split, uh, because the Electoral Count Act is so badly drafted that there are scenarios when no one can prove who won yeah. be, because the system doesn't clearly state that if Republicans control both houses of Congress, then their votes will decide which electoral votes are counted. And it could be game over for a uh, free and fair election.
0: So, what kind of a reaction have you gotten um, to 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 this piece? Because I mean, this was uh, this is the entire this is a special issue of the magazine devoted to American democracy in crisis. uh, Really uh, designed to you know come out on the anniversary of the insurrection, and this is as stark uh, a case as you could possibly make that January sixth was just a rehearsal. It was practice. It's coming. What kind of a reaction have you gotten? It's been voluminous. Uh, I've I've had
1: more uh reaction uh just by by volume than anything i've written before and uh there is the expected mix between people who like it and are made afraid by it and people who want to explain to me that the election was stolen and you know i have my head in improbable anatomical uh configuration with my body the the it's been, but the reaction I think overall is has been A, alarm, and B, wanting to know what to do about it. And I think the first requirement is acquiring a sense of urgency, of putting this front and center and saying uh, that what to do about it has to be job one right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, where we go from there, I'm not sure. Bart Gelman, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate it very much. Uh, Bart is a staff writer at The Atlantic, and you really need to read his piece, January 6th, with practice in the – it is the cover story of the latest edition of The Atlantic. So, Bart, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, we will do this all over again.